Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and we are so glad that you're here. Um, You know, as we grow older, uh, things change, you know, I mean, our ability to hear clearly, maybe we think differently. Hopefully we're wiser than we used to be. But, you know, there was a guy 92 years old and really was in pretty good health. And because he rarely felt bad, when he ever did, he quickly went to the doctor. So one day he decided he was going to go to the doctor and and check things out because, after all, he's 92. And he goes in, the doctor looks at him and, you know, he thinks just talks to him for a minute. The doctor tells him what he needs to do. And so he leaves the doctor's office. And uh, later on that week, uh, the doctor runs into him. At, at the local park there, and he notices and goes, wow, he's with a really good-looking woman. And so the doctor goes over and goes, well, you look like you're doing better. The 92-year-old gentleman said, well, I just did what you told me to do. He said, uh, you told me to go find a hot mama and be cheerful. <laughs> doctor said, it's not what I told you. I said, you had a heart murmur, be careful. So, <laughs> you know, Sometimes we just hear what we want to hear. (laughs) In this guy's case, I don't guess it was all that bad. He was doing a whole lot better. (laughs) Well, you know, we want you to do better. When you leave here, we want you to be happier. We want you to be filled with hope and life. And we feel like every time that we get together that the Bible tells us that we're to encourage one another. How many of you know all you got to do is turn your TV on to get discouraged? But all we need to do is the body of Christ and people of faith, not perfect people, but people who believe that every day can get better. The Bible says we're going from glory to glory. That means we're going from one good place to even a better place. And I realize that some of you coming here today burdened down and, and you're having some difficulty. Uh, after the 930 worship experience, I had received a message uh, about a week or two ago that a family was going through a struggle. And, and they needed some help up in, in Chicago. They had an incarcerated family member. And... and uh, you know, it's God just put everything together. Worked. I happen to know some people up there and got them in contact with the chaplain and, and just stuff like that. That it's, She just was in tears, and I'm just like so thankful. She said these words, thank you for believing. I didn't do anything except believe. You have no idea how much your faith and your belief in someone else can change their life. You count. You make a difference. You are significant. And so today we're going to talk about this greatest show. What kind of show, if you will, and I know some of you won't like that word show, but what are we presenting to other people? If you're really born again, you ought to be a happy person. It doesn't mean you don't have bad days, and it doesn't mean that there aren't times of difficulty. But I'm saying this, that we have a lot to be thankful for. 
And we have a lot to show a world that the church isn't what it used to be and it's not yet what it's going to be. We are going to be a center of redemption and restoration and hope, believing the best in all people. And guess what? We're going to expect the best in all people. Doesn't mean they have to deliver, but we're never going to stop expecting God to do incredible things in people's lives. There's just nothing wrong with being positive. Hello? And now I know some of you are sitting there, well, I can think of a few things. See, you're negative. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with being positive. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. And I want you to know as I present, get ready to present this story to you about misfits, misfortune, and miracles. That we all find this cycle in our lives. There is a time in life when you didn't feel like you fit in. Now, you know, it was really back in our day, if you were a baby boomer, it was no holes barred. I mean, if you were overweight, you were not metabolism challenged. Yeah. You were fat. I know I just dropped the F-bomb in church. <laughs> but you, you don't say that anymore, and I'm not saying we should, but I'm saying what, what would happen if you didn't care? And you just looked at somebody and say, they're just more of me to love than you. You skinny little fritter. There's always a comeback here. But what we have to realize is there was a time at some point in our lives when we didn't feel like that we fit in. I was a slow, I, I was five foot three my freshman year. I was short. I thought I was going to be short the rest of my life. My family was short. My brothers were short. And then in one summer, it was like God just went, I know you hate this. I grew seven inches. I outgrew my brother. And he beat me up even more. But I didn't feel like I fit in with my class. There were a few of us that were short. But, you know, most everybody was growing. And, and you know, even some of my friends had facial hair. I, I, it was still as smooth as a... a anyway. Uh, and, you know, I just felt like I didn't fit in. I felt I was like a misfit. And some of you feel like you don't fit in anywhere, and, and we're always looking to try to find that fit for our lives. And in Psalm 139, I love this. It says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What a beautiful passage in Psalm 139. That God ordered our days before we were ever born. God has an order for your life. He has an order for my life. You say, well, why am I the way I am? Why don't I fit in? Why am I living the life I'm living? Let me tell you something. It's never by God's choice. It's by our choice. Maybe someone didn't introduce you to life and life more abundantly. You know, I had nobody preaching to me about the life-giving power of God when I was young. All I thought was God was mad and someday he's coming back. He's going to take it out on all earth. Any ever go to, go to a church like that? Yeah, I did. Every time, I, every time the preacher preached, he was just mad. Or at least I thought he was. And then all the people sitting in the chairs looked mad. And I thought, let's get up Sunday and we're going to go to Anger Christian Center. <laughs> and so you had to get on your mad face when you went to my church, man. Everybody like, you know, you got to be all holy and righteous. And, and somehow we got this holy and righteous thing as this, if your countenance is all down, you're real holy. No, you're real miserable. Because in our church, baby, you're going to be smiling, happy. And when you leave, you may not even figure it out. But I just decided years ago that I had to make that work in my life. And that this was my stage. That everywhere I went, people were watching. And I realized I knew I was watching other people. And I was looking at how they lived. And not from the spiritual standpoint. I just wanted to know when I saw people that were happy, I wanted to know what made them happy. When I saw people that were doing well, I wanted to know what, what helped them to do well. I wasn't the kid that was judgmental about other people's happiness and stuff. I was the kid that was curious as to how they got it and I didn't. And some of you have sat around your whole life and wondered why Everybody else is doing well and you're not. They're happy and you're not. Things are going wonderfully for them and not for you. Let me tell you something. You are a decision away from turning your life around in the direction that God has ordered for you while you were yet in your mother's womb. We look and say, well, my mom or my dad did this or they didn't do that. and You know, I didn't have a good school. Or we start looking at all the reasons we are where we are instead of looking at all the possibilities that lie ahead that we can become. You are not stuck where you are. No matter how old you are, you are not stuck in this place. You can change and you can live the latter part of your life better than you ever imagined. And that it can exceed anything you've ever dreamed in your life. But you have to make that choice. Some of you are waiting on others to make that choice for you. You're looking for somebody to make your life wonderful when the power of God is resident in you for your life to be wonderful. So we're going to first talk about misfits because all of us feel like that in some way we don't fit in. There are people who don't go to church because they feel like they won't fit in in church because their, their vision or image of the church is that everybody at church is wonderful and perfect. And I just tell them, come to Mosaic. We're all jacked up. If you come to our church, you'll fit right in. We are the misfits. And I'm not saying that you, some of you are going, oh, I'm not. I'm leaving this time. No, you are. You really are. So is everybody. They just don't realize it. Let me tell you why we're misfits. Because we were never born to fit into this world. 
We are misfit for this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, so we really don't fit in. We're called to stand out in a world and be different. And not different in that we're better than anybody else. But let me tell you something. We need to be different in that we are a people of hope, and that's why we smile. We are a people of faith, which is why whatever's going on right now may not be going on tomorrow. doesn't have to go on tomorrow because we're believing God for brighter days, greater days. And I'll get to that in a moment. Some of you have given up hope. But let me tell you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stand out. And don't worry about being a misfit. I look at the story of David. And most of us, if I were to ask anybody, give me a, a name of a king. We'd probably start with King David. And then we'd go King Solomon. We'd, we'd name a few kings that Israel had. But most of us wouldn't name a lot of kings. But we would remember David. Because for some reason, we always remember the this, this scripture there talked about David slaying Goliath. You know, Goliath's this giant. David's this little bitty, red-headed, ruddy-looking guy, kind of handsome. And, and so here he is on the backside of nowhere. King Saul's head and shoulders are taller, taller than everybody else. He's afraid. And out there in the middle of nowhere, uh, David steps up because the giant was tormenting the God that he loved and served. Yeah. And so we remember the story of David and how great he was. But sometimes we forget that David was really... Not all that great all the time. I'm just going to pause for a minute. You know, I mean, he, he messes around with Bathsheba looking, you know, he's out. Everybody's out to war. David's hanging out. He said, go get that woman. And then her husband's out fighting. He puts him on the front line after David gets Bathsheba pregnant. Then he has her husband killed for fear. I'm telling you, it was messed up. It, it looked like a soap opera. What am I saying here? I'm saying that here we have this great king who became a misfit. He, he, he no longer fit into that role. And, and so what happens is he needed people to help him to rise back up. We all need people around us that will stand with us when things are not good. And it goes on to say in 1 Samuel 22, so David got away. Saul was after him trying to kill him. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. David became their leader, and there were about 400 in all. I would say this was a low point in David's life. Saul wants to kill him. Saul's son Jonathan is said to be in covenant with David but if you read the scripture the only way that Saul always knew where David was is because Jonathan would talk to David and go tell his dad this is a this is quite a story and so David is running from the king and all he's got are these misfits around him what am i saying i'm saying that no matter what's going on in you or around you you can make choices to overcome and every one of us typically measure our lives not by who we are, but what we've done and where we've been. Now, there's a story, if you'll turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 1, God's book. The book of Mark. The greatest of all gospels because he gets to the point. You know, Matthew and John, they're all eloquent. Mark just tells the story like it is. Verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written 
in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make paths straight for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went about went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John, listen to this. This is interesting. Now, because John comes out of nowhere, if you will, prophesied by Isaiah that before the Messiah or Jesus would come, that there would be one who would point people to him. And you notice that it's not in a synagogue, it's not in a temple, but it's out on a countryside. People were looking for the Messiah. They had heard about him. They had known the prophets and the prophecies about his coming, but they needed someone to point him out. Now, I would have thought the most likely candidate would have been a well-versed, well-educated Pharisee or Sadducee, someone who had studied all of the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets. Instead, God sends one who's rather strange. I'm going to show you how strange this man was. It's so strange that the authors of the Gospels talk about John like they've never talked about anybody. And it says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair. I guess what that means is everybody else wasn't wearing camel hair in that day. John just started a new fashion trend. <laughs> it's his own line of clothing. Hi, John the Baptist or Baptist clothing, which wouldn't be that case today. But anyway, John's wearing camel hair. They feel compelled to point this out. Then it goes on to say... With a leather belt around his waist. I feel like this is like a fashion show and he's, he's wearing bodice with leather. <laughs> Just a little lace around the shoe area. You know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and then it talks about his diet. Cheeseburgers. No, it's locusts. Oh, my gosh. That bull's mad. It's all good. It's all good. Wow. Good. And this was his message. After he comes, the one more powerful. Thank you. Type A. See people, it'd still be leaking this time next Sunday. You'd be like, is there water on there? Not a type people's fix it now. Take care of it now. I know I'm, I'm doing this just for those of you who be bothered by watching it and wondering, is he ever gonna wipe it up? There's my A type wife. Thank you, honey. I wasn't throwing that at anybody. I really wasn't. I, I just had to discard it. <laughs> this is the greatest show.
John says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, who straps and sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie, baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which means that you will be immersed in the presence of God when you follow him. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus. We talk more about God. People are offended by the name of Jesus, always have been, always will be, because he is the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. So in order to be saved, we first have to admit we need a Savior. Admitting that any of us are wrong or any of us have sinned is often one of the most difficult things that we will ever admit. Because we are, by nature, fallen nature, trained and taught to be self-sufficient. Not to lean on anybody else, not to need anybody else, but we were never meant to be alone. In fact, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. And so that we are not called to be alone, but we fight so desperately to prove to everybody we don't need anybody else. But the reality is John points us to this truth that we are empowered by his spirit. Once Jesus left, he said, I will not leave you as an orphan, but I will send another, a comforter, a paraclete, one called alongside to help. I think the, the most difficult thing is, is when you, you face a crisis and you begin to feel like a misfit. There was a guy in my college and university that when he got to university, he began to go blind. He had grown up normal like everybody else, but he literally began to go blind. And rather than uh, feeling like a misfit, that he would no longer fit in, he had lived most of his life just like everybody else normally. He could see everything. And uh, all of a sudden, blindness befalls him when he gets to college. And rather than getting bitter, this man started a company that if I mentioned his name, you would probably have heard of him today, that he decided that he would not see himself as a misfit. He would just stand out uh, amongst those who could not see. And he would stand out and he would be a testimony. And he used blindness to become his stage to reach a whole different world. You see, whatever it is you're going through right now becomes the stage in your life from which you communicate to everybody else in the world. There are times that you get down. There are times that you go through bankruptcy. There are times that you, you go through sickness. There are times that if you're not careful, you will give in to that which is beating on you in that moment instead of realizing the day is going to come when I'm going to stand on my stage and declare I am a cancer survivor. I was healed. I was raised up. I was broke. But now God has blessed me because I refuse to quit. I was blind, but now I see. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, that is your stage. Sometimes your greatest failure will become your loudest voice. But there will be those who will silence it because what they want you to do is fit in instead of stand out. John, not known as an educated man, didn't wear the robes of rabbis and priests, didn't look like a religious teacher of his day. He stood out. And in standing out, he looked like one of the misfits of the past. It's interesting how when you don't fit in, you stand out. So being a misfit is not all that bad a thing if you understand that even misfits fit in somewhere. That God has a fit for your life. He has a place for your life. And that some of you your whole life have heard things that have beat you down so much that you believe what others have said about you over what God has said about you. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
you have been measured by man, but you have chosen yet to be measured by God. And that with God, nothing is impossible. There's nothing that you cannot do in God that he has called you to do. It just takes courage. As I spoke last week, it takes courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the will to do the right thing in the midst of that fear. Because everyone in this place, when God asks you to do something, has this fear component that comes and says, but what if it doesn't work? What will people say about me? What will happen in my life? Think about David having to rise up after his son from Bathsheba dies. And he's looking and everybody's going to judge him. See, this is what you get. How many of you know there are always about ten people ready to pile on for everyone who's ready to pick you up? But David said, I will rise up whether you pick me up or not. And I will fulfill my God-given call in this lifetime. I will not be deterred by your criticism and your hate. I will be the king that God's called me to be. Not because I appointed me, but because God appointed me. You are not self-appointed. You are God-appointed. You know, there weren't... Uh, VIP invitations sent out. You didn't hear of the Zealots, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians. You didn't hear of all those groups being there that day. There were a bunch of people that were attracted to the voice of John, to the message of John, to the hope of John. You see, John became the bridge between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old, Old Testament and New Testament. I don't have time to get into it, but John was not a New Testament figure, even though he was a part of the New Testament process. Because he died before Jesus died and rose from the dead. He died before there was the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. But he used his platform knowing that he would precede Christ in death. But on the other side of his death and Christ's death and resurrection, that he would be with him. We work from the platform of where we are to get to where we want to be. I know that some of you say, well, I started from behind. I've had no hand up. I've had no help. I've had nobody there for me. I can remember hating where I lived. Not the people. I just hated the culture because I always felt like... This is my life. I looked around and I thought, God, you've made me for more than this. I'm not better than any of these people, but I can see that there's more to you than the world in which I live. And I was told my dad one, one, one summer, I was so depressed. I was so sad about my life. And it was just like I could see it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow in the path of my dad, my dad's dad. And, and it was not appealing to me. And he said... I said, Dad, I, I said, I'm just going to get on a motorcycle and I'm just going to ride. I said, I just got to get out of here. And he said, Mark, you know, life's not a dream. And I looked at him. I said, Dad, life's what you make it. I'm going to make it something. I just had determined in my mind I had to get out of there. I would lay on the ground and I would look up at airplanes flying over on beautiful Oklahoma summer days. And I would look and I would say, someday. I will be on one of those airplanes and I will see the world. Well, let me tell you, not only would I see the world, but I would speak in Australia and India and Africa. And I would train leaders on continents all over the world. Little did I know when I said that, God was saying, I've got a greater purpose than just getting on the airplane. I want you to get my son into the lives of people on every continent. You see, 
God has a bigger dream than us. But if he can get us just to dream a little bit, we'll open our hearts to something far bigger. Can you imagine John being the one that Isaiah prophesied about that you will lead the people to the place of their miracle? That Jesus would be introduced by you. John had to say, I'm open to whatever, God. I'm open to whatever. In our world today, the biggest question we have when we start feeling like doing something is, what are the pros and cons? What's in it for me? Let me tell you, I don't care what's in it for you right now. What's in it for you if you obey is greater than what you could ever think, ask, or imagine. We just simply have to obey. And obedience is not something we talk about anymore. We always look and measure everything by, by the benefit of that decision. Well, let me tell you, some decisions you can't see the benefit until you make that decision because God put it in your heart to make it. Yes. I'll never forget when I graduated undergrad, I'd been accepted to Regents University in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. How many of you know that just the words Virginia Beach, Virginia would be enough to make you go yes and amen, Lord? That I, I flew out there. I, I was with the dean of the president, uh, uh, the dean of theology. I got to stay in his home. I, I mean, this, this prestigious university. And, and I'm thinking, this is God ordained. I'm going to have this regent university by my name. I'm going to have, and all of it. And while I'm there, this little bitty church in South Texas called me. Little Methodist church. I'd never been in a Methodist church in my life. I didn't even think they were going to heaven. And God changed the trajectory of my decision. I would become a misfit in a church denomination I'd never been in in my life. And they wanted me to come and be on staff. And I'm thinking, but I want my master's degree from this. And I just finally, I gave up. I said, God, I'm just going to obey you. This makes no sense whatsoever. How many of you know sometimes the creator of heaven and earth, the galaxies that are above us, how many of you know sometimes you just can't make sense of God? I mean, like most of the time, it just makes no sense. I've only made the mistake one time of telling God these words and never use them, please. Some of you are really like, boy, I can't wait to hear it. God's telling me, January 3rd, 2016, go back to Oklahoma City. Here's what I said to God. I'm educated. I have an undergrad and a master's degree. And I said these stupid words to God. Any of you ever say anything stupid to God? Oh, five of you, you lying people. <laughs> Dear God, I need to pray for all of you. No, I don't say anything stupid to God. Sure. I said this when God says, go back to God. I said, you don't understand. <laughs> I think all of heaven and the angels just fell down in laughter. Did he just say what we thought he said? God, who made the galaxies and flung the stars in the sky. God, you don't get it. God gets everything about your life and still calling you to the same place he's always called you. Before you drew a breath, God had a plan for your life. The problem is, before you drew a breath, your mom and daddy had a plan for your life. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, man. My plan for my kids, get a job. Earn your own money so I don't have to. That was a dream for my kids. Get out the house. <laughs> I just said that out loud. My son plays the piano. I love you, Andrew. Keep making a living. When somebody else expects something of you, 
and they never tell you how to create expectation in your own life, you end up living somebody else's dream, which for you is a nightmare. My parents were great parents. And even their expectations of me, there was nothing wrong with, except their expectations didn't connect with God's expectations, which did not connect with me. I'm the most different child out of all three, and I know some of you have some very tacky things to say about that. <laughs> but I was a dreamer. I'm still a dreamer. I still think every time something bad happens, God's using it for something good. I just happen to believe if I walk through a field of manure, I'm going to be growing roses once I get out. It just doesn't matter to me. You get dew on your shoe. <laughs> you get roses on the other side, baby. Because they don't grow well without fertilization. And some of y'all need to start seeing your situation as fertilization. And there are all kinds of thoughts going on right now. <laughs> Misfortune often kills expectation. In other words, if you have a bad moment, you get sick. Something happens. But in Luke 3, in reference to John, it said the people were waiting expectantly. People were waiting expectantly. What are you waiting for? What are your expectations? Oh, I hate my job, but I'm going to give 20 more years to it. Seriously. Why would you do that? I'm not telling you to go quit today and next week call the church. And say, you told me to quit. Now will you pay the electric? I didn't say that. I'm telling you, start expecting things to happen. Start looking and dreaming again and believing that if you're not happy where you are, there's maybe a, a stirring of God inside you to believe for something different than what you're currently living. It's a fight. It's a fight every week to stand up and think, I'm coming to church Sunday. Who's going to be there? Who's not going to be there? Why aren't they there? What's going on? I have to overcome all the same things, only more sometimes, because I don't know who shows up, who doesn't. Is this thing going to work? It's the same battle every Saturday night, and it apexes to the point where you just go, God, it's yours. But I'll do my best. What are your expectations? Are you living out the expectations of your mom and dad? Or the expectations of your school teacher? You heard the words, well, you'd be a good this or you'd be a good that. I think you'd make this. And, and all of a sudden, you just grabbed hold of something somebody said instead of taking a step back and saying, you know what? That's not a fit for me. You're never going to be good on a stage that God didn't put you on. you got to find your stage in life. you got to find your platform. The place where the power of God and the confidence of God is resident in you. This is all I know. I've been, I preached my first sermon in 1978 when I was five years old. Imagine that. so slow today it's like wow he did that at five <laughs> five oh gee thank you i'm looking pretty good for 90 
Don't let somebody talk you out of what Jesus died you into. Miracles are for everyone, but everyone must posture and position themselves for that miracle. I didn't have the money to go to the school I went to. It was a private school. And I could have easily said, God, I don't have the finances for this. And I didn't. And my parents were not for it. And one day I hear God say these words, if you'll obey me, you will graduate debt free. And this was in 1985. This was a $100,000 education. It'd be 200000 a day. And I'm thinking, God, I have no way of getting through this. And God said, you absolutely have no way unless you go. You don't get the miracle without putting yourself in a place where you need the miracle. I didn't need God to pay my tuition if I didn't enroll. That day on the country hillside, how many miracles were there because people had an expectation that drew them to the attraction of a man in camel's hair with a leather belt who didn't have rabbi garb on and clothing on, who was not a man of reputation, but they said, we don't care if he has a reputation. We've heard this guy coming named Jesus has a reputation, and we're not going to miss out. We're going to put ourselves on the hillside. Remember when they came thousands to hear Jesus preach, and the Bible says they were so hungry they wouldn't have made it home, and that's when Jesus said, I'm going to take a few loaves and some fish, and I'm going to feed all thousands of you. You have to put yourself in a place that tests God. And you said, God, so test God. He said, test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing you won't have room enough. He said, test me. I'm up to the test. I will pass the test. I'm a God that's immeasurable. I'm a God of more than enough. You don't ever have to worry, but you've got to put yourself in a place where the miracle can happen. Elijah goes to the brook Kareth because God said, go, it's a famine, and the, the brook is dry. He said, go there, and I will have a raven feed you. Now, I'm going to tell you, if God said, go, and I want you to sit there, and I'm going to have a bird feed you, I'm like, yeah, right. We read it like it's easy because it's in the Bible, but he had to believe. He tells Joshua, he says, I want you to walk into this flood stage Jordan. You weren't my first pick. Moses was. But, you know, Moses messed up. You'll see him later. But now I need you to lead these disgruntled Israelites across this flood stage Jordan to get to their promise. Let me tell you, if you're going to get to your promise and your promise is worth anything, there will be rivers standing between you and your promise. There will be haters standing between you and your promise. There will be naysayers, negative people, hateful people standing between you and your promise. And you have to step up and say, you're not keeping me me from my miracle. You're not keeping me from the promises of God. I am cross rivers that are at flood stage. He didn't look at Joshua and say, just camp out here. This thing will go down in a few days. He said, no, I want you to get the ark, which represented the presence of God. And I want you to have your guys walk out at flood stage. You ever been in a river at flood stage? Just like this. It ain't like, mm-hmm. Brace yourself. He said, and if you'll walk out there, my presence will be there. 
If you'll put them in a place where I can do a miracle, I'll do a miracle. And they stand there at flood stage and the water's flowing strong. And God holds the water back and Israel goes across again. Some of you want miracles. But you've chosen not to trust God with the need that you have. Peter's sitting in prison. Acts chapter 12, sitting in prison. Four centuries of angel, I mean, uh, of soldiers around him. They'd already killed James, one of the disciples, and they felt the applause for killing a religious man. And Peter's sitting there in, in the middle of the night. An angel comes and taps him on the shoulder and says, get up. Chains fall off his wrist. You can, you can complain about being in your prison, or you can say, my angel's on his way. Chains are coming off. You know, you sit around and complain about your job, your condition, your position. Instead of saying, this is the place of my miracle. I'm not going to whine and complain. I'm going to declare the goodness of God. I'm declaring that I'm going to my place of promise. I'm going to the other side. I'm not staying where I've been because there's a place called going. I'm going there. He told Abraham, he said, I want you to leave the country you're in and go to a place I will show you. Got a new stage for you. Got a new platform for you. Some of you, your platform at work is to quit complaining in the break room with everybody else and say, this is a great place. Your whining will never change anything, but your faith can move mountains. We have too many Americans and people complaining and whining instead of praying and saying, the latter shall be greater than the former. There will be an outpouring of God and his glory shall fill the earth and all people will see it and I will be one of the vessels through which he works. I will stand out. We have the greatest story ever told resident in us as believers that one man would come from heaven and die for the sins of all mankind. Greatest story that anybody could ever tell. And that for all of us, a miracle awaits our obedience. A miracle awaits our obedience. I would never have graduated debt-free had I not enrolled in my first class. We wouldn't be gathered here today if on January 3rd of 2016 I said, God, I'm staying with my plan. You don't understand. There are people waiting for you. On the other side of your fight. But you have to go through it. To get to it. God's not going to send you around. He's going to send you through. He gets no glory if you escape. He gets glory if you fight and you win. The greater the challenge. The greater the victory. The greater the story. Don't quit. Don't stop. Let's pray. Father thank you. For being such an awesome God. In the midst of a fallen world. God gathered in this place, just a bunch of people, all of us just alike. Nobody's different. Some people short, some are tall, some have money, some don't. Some are hurting right now, some are rejoicing. We're all people in process. So, Lord, I'm praying today that you would help us all with our process. Beginning with salvation, because that's the beginning of the process. No faith in Christ, no Holy Spirit present, because the three are one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
today, heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, Mark, I want to make a statement today. I want to be obedient. I've not confessed Christ as Lord, but today I want to. I'm going to do something a little different right now. I just want to ask you, if that's you, and you say, pray for me, I want you to lift your hand up right now. Just pray for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So many of you. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. I'm not going to have you do anything. I just wanted you to do that. I felt like some of you just said, man, this is going to be hard for me. And it was hard for you, but look at you now. You're better. You're going to like, well, I'm glad I lifted that off my chest. Those of you watching online, just lift your hand right where you're at, the airport. Somebody will think, you know, who knows? You're waving at them. Let's all pray this prayer right now. Say, Father God, I repent of all my sins. I call on the name of Jesus, your son, the name that's above every name by which I can be saved. Today, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. Amen.